So Lord, we gather tonight, we ask that you would be present and uh, you would meet with us as we, in the middle of this holy week, reflect and ponder all that led to the cross, the empty tomb. So we want to take this journey just moment by moment and we want to not miss any of it fully embrace every step you took and we do that tonight in the name of Jesus we all pray together and we say amen have a seat just for a moment if you like Um, it'll be a bit of up and down as Josh said you're welcome to stand while we worship or sit whatever fits your mood or what you need for tonight. We're going to walk through some scripture together and we'll take communion as a part of our experience. So if you're online, it's a a great time to either be sure you have your elements or go get them and uh, we'll take communion before we're done. And then we'll we'll wrap up the evening um, in anticipation of the next several days, Um, Friday, Saturday, then we'll gather Sunday and, and have a celebration. And so this, this day, Monday, Thursday, it's, it's not a, a word you use very often, once a year maybe, and maybe only then if you say to somebody, I'm going to church, well, it's Thursday, why are you going to church? Well, it's Monday, Thursday, and then they say, I don't know anything about that, what does that even mean? And it's a good word, it's an important word, and the word has some meaning behind it that helps us. Uh, grasp what today is all about. Uh, we, we know Good Friday. We get that. I mean, we have some struggles believing that it's good and that uh, that all good is Friday, but Monday, Thursday prepares us for the coming days, including tomorrow. So this, this word, Monday, it's, it's an old word. It's a good word. There's some meaning behind it. I changed the spelling there because that's probably how it would have been spelled. It, it's, a, it's a Middle English word. It's, it's an old French word, monde. And that maybe helps you grasp some of the etymology. But it's really both Middle English and Old French spring from the Old Latin, which the word would have been mandatum. And it means mandate. Or command. That's that's what the word comes from. And the reason why we call it Monday Thursday, because of this mandate that Jesus gave the night before he was killed. This mandate frames the entirety of the gospel. The mandate that Jesus gives to the disciples when he's in the upper room, right before they have their last last supper together, this this moment of Passover, so many things. In fact, when you read the Gospel of John, we'll read through some of it in just a little bit. John 13 uh, begins this incredible discourse of teaching, and it's unbelievably rich. Jesus levels a mandate, and he does it in this way. That's what he says. So now I'm giving you what? A new commandment. 613 Jewish commands. Do we really need a new one? And Jesus would say, yeah, we do. This is how important this is. He says, I'm giving you a a new commandment. 
This is why we call it Monday Thursday. This is the, the new mandate. This is the new law, as Jesus would call it. Love each other. Love each other isn't new. That's old. Leviticus 19, it was the centerpiece of the law. There's not one rabbi that would say that Leviticus 19.18 isn't the center of the law. And it says, love your neighbor, you should love each other, and you should love your neighbor as you, what? As you love yourself. Jesus had quoted it while he was teaching, when he was challenged about the importance and the center of the law. But now Jesus says, the night before he's killed, I give you a new mandate. I give you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If you're gonna get a chance to worship some tonight, ponder this verse. Tonight is all about, Monday, Thursday is always all about this new mandate and what it means and how we live it out, receive it, and give it. And so as Josh and Amy lead us in another song, here's the question that I think is worth pondering and, and considering. What if, what if, what if this were true? What if this were true in our interactions with one another, in our relationships? What if we were able and what if we in fact loved each other the way Jesus loves us? Not the way we love ourselves, not, not the way the law describes a reciprocal love, but a love that flows unconditionally. This is what we hope for. And this is what this meal is about. And this is what we will pause to reflect and consider before we go into the rest of Holy Week, pushing to Resurrection Sunday. So as Jesus uh, gives this new command in John 13, it, you can tell by the verses, it takes place a bit further down in the chapter. And there's some context to him giving this command when he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He didn't just make this a teaching or make it a, a pronouncement. He had just showed them what that love looks like and, and what it means. This, this whole chapter is the focus of what it means to have this mandate. This is how the chapter begins. This is what occurs. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them, how long? To the end, that's right. This, this phrase, to the end, is, a, is an interesting phrase. In fact, this, this whole passage, the very first verse that we've called the first verse of John 13, we have it in a, two sentences. In the Greek, it makes up one sentence. But in, in English, that would be a horribly awkward and difficult sentence. So we've split it up. But when Jesus spoke it, it has one thought or one idea. And then he uses this interesting Jewish idiom. It was a phrase, a saying in, in the Jewish world. In the Greek, it's a, 
it's hard to translate. And so translators have, over the years, had very difficult time doing it. To the end, is it my favorite? My favorite is this. An older translation says, he showed them the full extent of his love. And then he begins to display it right there in, in John 13. Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, if, if you're not sure how I feel about you, let me show you. If you've ever wondered, if you have some doubt, let me give you a practical expression of what my love and concern for you look like. Now, it's no mistake that the same word here, to the end, this, this Greek word, telos, is repeated again near the end of John. When Jesus is on the cross, the very last thing he says is, and you probably know this if you know some of the sayings from the cross, it is ended. We translate that in John, it is finished. And so the full extent of his love would be seen on the cross, but Jesus takes this moment with his disciples in the upper room and he begins to show them what love looks like. And so if we're going to ask this question, what does it mean then for Jesus to show his love? If Jesus says, look, this is a new mandate, it's a new command, this is how important it is. I want you to love each other the same way I have loved you. Then the question that you ought to ask whenever you open up the Gospels, whenever you read anything about anything that Jesus says or does, you ought to ask this question, how did Jesus do it then? What does he say about love? How does he teach? How does he display it? What does he do physically? What does he do verbally? How did Jesus love the disciples? If you're going to ask this question thoughtfully as a follower of Jesus, then that means that we take that love with us into our marriages, our families, our our communities, our neighbors, our workplaces, and we decide that this love is going to be the only thing that defines who we are and how we live, how we act. Now, if you've been around Castle Oaks for a while, then you know that this word love is, is in the Greek, agape, and it isn't an emotional feeling. Jesus isn't confessing some sentimentality toward the disciples. What he's saying very practically is, my love for you is going to take on a very practical and tangible nature. And I'm going to prefer you over me. I'm going to place your needs ahead of mine. You won't be able to just hear from my mouth that I love you. You are going to see it in a very sensible, visible, tangible way. That's what agape love is. Of course, we in our culture have made love a feeling that's emotional and sentimental, and that's not it at all. In fact, that couldn't be further from the truth when you understand the Greek and Jewish understanding of agape and what it means to love. And so, as the chapter unfolds, we see it very clearly. Jesus knew, very next verse, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. John just kind of throws this in as, uh, hey, did you, did you know this? And what it does is frame everything about what we know about Jesus. Three things that Jesus knew. Even you could list them, and you just read the verse. Three things that he knew. You know what they are. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. 
He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was returning from God. Now, I don't know what you've experienced over the last year, what kind of uncertainty or difficulty, pain, stress, um, all kinds of anxiety, tension, whatever it is, you can know these things. These things are true about you. Well, all but one. One is only true of Jesus, right? Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. You, in fact, don't have anything under your power. And you know that. It's been made obvious through every life experience you could ever imagine. All you need to do is have a toddler in your home to know that you have nothing under your power. But the other two things are true of you. And it could be the only reason that you're here tonight is to remember this, that you have come from God, Scripture makes it clear, and that you will return to God. What you're doing now is in between those two things. But you can live with the confidence and the assurance and the trust that God is sovereign, that he has you in his hand, that he knows your name, that he has walked every day with you, and that you have come from him and that you will return to him. In fact, everything God does is about his relationship with you and for you to be in your presence. So I wonder if you needed to be reminded of that tonight. And then he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This moment with Jesus and the disciples is a profound moment, but it really shouldn't be. It's a very everyday moment. But it has become profound to us because Jesus did it. It's recorded in the Gospels for us. In fact, many churches have made it a part of their Holy Week experience. They have decided we will have basins and we'll just wash each other's feet as a part of our Monday, Thursday service. Wouldn't you like some notice if we were going to do that? So that you could wash your feet before you come? Isn't that what you would do? Of course you would. I mean, I would hope you would. Any decent person would. And so we have taken this act that is as common, everyday, simple, not notable, not profound, and we have made it a practice. We have decided this is to be emulated, sometimes literally and physically. But why was it meaningful? What made it? so powerful for the disciples. We could look at this from any number of angles, no doubt. But at the end of the day, what Jesus was dealing with in that moment was just dirty feet. That's all, really was. That's it. Jesus had these men in front of them and he said to them, I, I see you. I see what you brought in. I see what you have on you. I know, I get it. The world is a dirty place and you've been traveling and you've been walking around and you got some on you and you got some on you and we're just gonna take a moment and pause and not make a big fuss about it. 
and we're going to get it off. That's what we're going to do. I see what you brought in. Why don't we deal with it? That's what Jesus does. It would have been just typical for the men who were in this room, this borrowed room, who didn't have a host, didn't have somebody that was, you know, taking care of all the preparations. They all kind of ran around as a bunch of men would. Did you bring the knives and the cups and the plates and who brought this and the wine and you brought that wine? That's the wrong year and all of those kinds of things to say, we're just going to let the feet go. We're just going to leave them dirty. And Jesus stops and he says, I see you. I see what's between your toes. And we're just going to take a moment, we're going to clean it off and wipe it off. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, they stand in stark contrast to the laws of the Old Testament. There's a group in our church that's reading through the Torah right now, and, and it's been quite a journey for them as they read through the, the incredible detail of the verses right now in Numbers, but we have been in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomies to come, and oh my goodness, some of them have just given up and said that I don't even know where to start here. When you compare the teachings of Jesus to some of the detail that's in the law, what you'll notice is, is that Jesus, he tells us to do things that are practical, relational, tangible, very much like taking care of the dirty feet. And he does so pointedly and clearly. To where every person who calls themselves Christian, which means little Christ, should read the Gospels with such reverence and fastidious attention that they would decide to employ every teaching of Jesus that they can pull from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and John and decide that this is going to characterize who I am and how I live. I want to pay attention the way Jesus did. So Jesus gives a new mandate. You love each other as I have loved you, as I have loved you. This is one example of it. His teachings, however, they tell us all those same things. Here's a few summaries. Here's what I want you to do. All things that Jesus said, most of the time in multiple ways, many times through a story or a parable, I want you to love your enemies, share your stuff, be generous with what you have. Don't judge others. Oh my goodness, let it go. Let it go, would you? Don't hold grudges. Forgive each other. And forgive each other. He said it over and over and over again. This is what it means to clean dirty feet. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's a matter of seeing the person in front of you and deciding that your relationship is more important than your status or your power, or your position, or even the belief that you hold on to. When Jesus levels this mandate of loving each other in this way, and then throughout his ministry gives teachings that articulate it, well, I asked you to imagine at the beginning of the service, what if... What if we lived this way, loved this way, related to each other in this way? So you have an incredible memory, I bet, of many times over the last few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe longer, 
where something Jesus said ran across grain of your attitude, your actions, your feelings, and where we fall short, where we don't do what Jesus said. Maybe we hold a grudge. Maybe we don't forgive. Agape love says that we have to stop, pause, take a step back, and try again. And when we do, when we try again and we try to live these things out, then we find ourselves deciding that this will be the operating paradigm of our life. That we will love each other the way Jesus has loved us. This is the new commandment and the new mandate. And so, that's why we take communion. You can get your communion ready if you like. It's, it's handy. It's, it's right there in front of you. You're actually going to be taking communion online and in this room as you have a chance to reflect. Because we're going to ask you to reflect on some things as a part of our Monday, Thursday experience. And so, keep it handy. Josh and, and Amy will be back. They're going to lead us through a song that will give us a chance to reflect and to remember. Let me remind you of the words that were spoken by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. In fact, we're using this and not the Gospels on purpose because of the way this is worded and the words that Paul chose to describe the communion experience. On the night when he was, what's the very next word? On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Now, I don't know if you're able to look back on the last year and able to think about the things that you've experienced and give thanks for them. But that's what God's asking you to do too right now, tonight, this weekend. The story that is told through the Gospels is a story of suffering and pain, crucifixion, and eventually, resurrection. But that's Sunday. We're not to Sunday yet. The path that you and I are on means that we have to take a look at what has been handed to us. In this case, betrayal, hurt, and loss. Josh mentioned fear in the garden. That we take a look at those experiences and say, thank you, God. Thank you. You've been with me and we've gotten through this together. I've come from you and I'm going to return to you. And this is where we are today. And so Jesus, he he took the bread and he, he broke it. And he gave thanks the night that he was betrayed. That's what Paul says. And then Paul continues to describe this meal. He broke into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you, bread and simple. As simple as dirty feet or a sower in a field or a treasure that a farmer finds buried under the soil. This is the simplicity that Jesus spoke with. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. So when you remember Psychologists and psychiatrists tell us 
our memory is incredibly unreliable. We remember things very differently than they happened. I don't know why that is, but you know it's true because you've had a few arguments with your loved ones about how things happened when they happened, and you were both there. But you remember it very differently. I believe this is why we have communion and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter because God is continually formulating our memories and he is prescribing where our understanding will come from and how we will give meaning to what happened. That's what a memory is, how you give meaning to what happened. And so this bread, this simple symbol of the body of Jesus reminds us that it was given for us. Jesus said, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And the only way we can do that is to know that we have been loved so fully and so completely that the dirt from beneath our toes is wiped and washed away, but that the body of Jesus was given for us. That's how much he loves you. Then Paul writes, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after the supper. Now, this probably would have been the third or fourth cup of wine of supper, kind of like some of your suppers, right? And he took this cup of wine. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. In just a moment, the little juice that's present in that plastic cup that you hold represents the blood of Jesus poured out for you. So before we reflect and ponder, take communion, we'll read something together. This will frame it in the next screen we'll read together, but this is my prayer, our prayer for us. Tonight we continue our journey to the cross. Tonight we reaffirm that we are all God's covenant people, that we are a people about to be freed from slavery, from the slavery of sin and the fear of death. And so together, let us declare our need for cleansing and forgiveness. This prayer is one we'll pray together out loud. And if you're online, I encourage you to read it and say it as well. Let's all say this together. You can follow my lead. Jesus, our hearts are weary and tired from the journey. We have not loved one another or loved you as you have loved us. Selfishness and indifference stain our hearts and our lives. How will we become clean again? We see the table there, but who will prepare our hearts for this holy meal? We look to you, O Lord. Help us, cleanse us, restore us. Now let's say this last part one more time. We look to you, O Lord. Help us cleanse us, restore us. So Lord, now as we ponder and reflect on your love, as we receive these communion elements, the gifts of God for the people of God, 
we pray that the truth of your love, the depth of your love on this Monday, Thursday would overwhelm us In quietness will we be overwhelmed to know that you see us with dirt between our toes, the selfishness that stains our lives. And your love for us has never wavered. It's not that we are good. It's not even that we are enough in and of ourselves, but that you created us in your image and that you love us fully and completely. And so, Lord, we come to you hands open, hearts open, and we pray that in this moment, your love will be made known and made real. May we receive it. May we sit in it. So now just in the quietness as you reflect on this communal prayer that we've offered and as these lyrics are sung and you join in at your appropriate time receive the elements and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing one more as we leave this place, but let's leave with this thought in mind. If this is true, it's a new commandment, it's love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. If this is what we're supposed to do and it's supposed to show up in our relationships, if there's dirty feet and we're supposed to take care of them, if there's a, a brokenness in a relationship and we're supposed to move as Jesus would move, and forgive and not hold a grudge, if, if we're supposed to live out these many commands of Jesus, and there's many others, we just pulled a few out of the Gospels, then these commands, the towel and the basin and the water, they all have a target, don't they? I mean, it's your feet, it's... It's this person, it's an individual, it's, a, it's somebody that's in my life. They all have a, a who. There's a who attached to almost every command that Jesus gives. Some of them are directed directly between you and, and God the Father. Many more are all about you and your relationships with other people. And sometimes that who is a random individual, somebody you come across that needs an encouraging word or a listening ear or just a thoughtful, same way Jesus saw the feet, right? I see you. I know your name. You have not gone through this day unnoticed. God sees you too. But sometimes the who is somebody we know, somebody that we walk with, somebody that we used to know that we don't want to know anymore. Sometimes that who well, God can bring them to mind. So if we're going to carry out these commands, then it would be thoughtful of us to ask God, which one's on your mind for me, Lord? If you're going to guide me, if you're going to lead me, how do you want me to use my heart and my mind to fulfill this mandate that you've given?
what would it look like? And what do you want me to do? And so as we sing about the wonderful cross, this will be our prayer. And this song will be our benediction as well. So let me lead you through that prayer. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, we pray that this, this mandate, that this command would not fall on a hard heart, that it would fall on a soft and, and pliable heart in me. And that, Lord, if you have asked us to live this command out, then my guess is, is you have something in mind for me and for each of us and those online that are listening, that there is a, a, a tangible, practical expression of your love that you want to flow from our mouth, our words, our, our actions, our hands, our generosity, the mercy that we give. So what is it? So bring to, bring to mind a name. We believe your Holy Spirit's so loving and so kind and so gentle that many of us won't even fall asleep tonight without this very specific, tangible expression of your love that you want us to be busy about. Maybe yet this evening, maybe tomorrow or next week, but Lord, we pray that... every one of us would be about the business of fulfilling this new commandment that we would love the way you have loved us. It's the, the very least we can do since you've empowered us to do so. And so Lord, we declare this truth that the cross, though it was a tool of capital punishment, that it is for us wonderful, powerful. It is our redemption and we claim it tonight.